0: Full circle. Full circle. Hi, I'm Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. Girlfriend, this is a place where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360 degree look at womanhood. It's our voice. Our perspective—it's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle, Full circle. family. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. So excited for week. Two of our Men on the Move series, if you heard last week's episode with the amazing Leon Guidry, you know that you are in for a treat for the whole month because we have got some powerful, powerful conversations on the way. And if you missed the conversation with Leon, make sure that you find it. It's up on your favorite podcasting platform right now. Make sure you're looking for Miss Wanda's Full Circle Radio on your favorite podcast platform and you can hear the conversation. I am super excited about today's conversation because I have heard a lot about this person and I'm glad to be able to meet him and to get to know him a little bit better. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Anthony Dewan. He is a playwright director from Sacramento whose playwriting credits include Safe at Home, the Jackie Robinson story, and Keeping the Dream Alive. His directing credits include Suburbia, Othello, Five Women Wearing the Same Dress, A Clockwork Orange, The Musical, The Mountaintop, Top Dog, Underdog, and direct from Death Row, The Scottsboro Boys. And he's got a new project that hopefully he'll share a little bit about it with us today. Uh, There are other productions that we'll talk about in a bit that got me introduced to Anthony. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to bring Anthony into the studio, joining us live via Zoom right now, Anthony Dewan. Thank you so much for saying yes to this and for being here.
1: Thank you for asking.
0: I am so happy to have you here. So I start every show with asking the guests to introduce themselves to my audience, who I call the Full Circle family. So introduce yourself to the Full Circle family.
1: Well, first of all, I just want to say I really enjoy your show. Thank you. I've I've liked everything I've heard. It's just I like how you're conversational and and in-depth you actually get. I think it's important. Anyway, my name is Anthony Dewan. And uh, Sacramento playwright director.
0: Yes, are you a Sacramento native, born and raised?
1: Well, I was born in Los Angeles, um, but I was, but I was, uh, I've been here since I was like one years old. I don't have any memories of Los Angeles. Um, my mom is from here, and she went to Los Angeles <laughs> to be an actor, and um, she met my dad. Then I came along. Things didn't work out. And we came back to Sacramento, and I've been here my whole life.
0: So it sounds like theater is in your like you were born into this.
1: In a way, yeah, yeah. There's um, I, there's something I didn't really realize. I hadn't, I thought about it, but then I don't think about it. But then I spoke to my mom recently again, and I was reminded that when I was about seven or eight, she did a production of *Pearly Victorious* over at City College. *Pearly Victorious* by Ozzie Davis, and um, I was, I, I remember, I was, I was there at every single rehearsal every night and watched every performance, you know, so reached the point where, you know, I, I was a kid. So I learned, I knew everybody's lines. I think at one point, uh, there were a couple of the other kids around and I, and I organized them and I said, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's act out one of these scenes for them. So I kind of, you know, basically cast everybody and mm-hmm. I put myself in one of the, sh- one of the positions and we performed it for them on, on, during a break. And it was a hit, um, for, for the adults. but that's it. It's been, yeah, it's been sort of always there, you know? Um,
0: did you end up pursuing it in your educational studies in college, or, or tell us a little bit about like what your road to where you are today? What did what did that look like?
1: Sure, um, I went to college for about a semester, and I took a theater class, and that, that's what I understood that that's what I want to do, and then I dropped out, and I never returned. I um, just started. I I took a year and just started teaching myself how to write plays. I've been writing since I was. Kid, mm-hmm. you know that was always something I just loved doing. It wasn't, I didn't have, I never really had any intentions of doing anything else with my life. I was, I was always uh, writing, always like movies and books, and those were my life. Those things were my life. So I started out wanting to be Stephen King. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I would, as a kid, I read his books, and I would get just fascinated by it. You know, and um, so then as I got older, I started teaching myself how to write plays by reading plays. I would go to the bookstores, buy a whole stack of plays. I would like find a name that I would latch onto, and then I would read all their plays. And then I took a year and I wrote a one act play per day, just like it be it a long one or a short one or whatever it may be a monologue, two people, three people, whatever silly idea came to me. And I did that for a year. And then when I picked up the Phone book, remember those, yeah, and uh, <laughs> thumb through it to and found you know, under T's for theater. And I would call people and say, Hi, my name is Anthony, I'm I write plays, and then the conversation, nothing would happen. And then one day I called the B Street Theater and they picked up a guy named Dave Perini, old still, still an old, you know, person I know very well, picked up the phone and they they said, Yeah, come on in. And they used to have these Monday night play readings where they would do. You know, new new plays from local people and stuff. And we gather up on Mondays. And it would start at like, you know, whatever, seven o'clock and go until we're done, which could be midnight. <laughs> um, we would read through all these plays, actors would perform them, and I had that's how I started getting introduced to to things. And so I met people through the writing. People were intrigued by the stuff I was writing, and then I got introduced to my the man who became my mentor, Ed Claudio. And I stayed with Ed Claudio for eight years, eight and a half years. I was his assistant, he was my mentor, I was his protege. He taught acting and he ran basically an acting school and I didn't take his classes, I just stayed around and learned every, cause I was not a good student, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I, and he, but he would feed me information throughout. He would suggest, read this, read this. And then I would come back every day and help on each show. Then i started running lights then i started helping to build sets then i eventually became an artistic associate and then later on i became an artistic director the artistic director of the theater for a very short time so this was and this is all before this is all my up by my mid-20s um so i just and then it was just uh i started doing work at b street theater as an actor i did um i did a lot of children's traveling children's theater which really taught me the art of storytelling you know nothing teaches you storytelling like children's theater is still the best education i ever had um where I, I did about seven tours of this and this we're talking 12 shows a week monday through friday getting up at 4 30 in the morning you get into a van and travel to schools and set up and, and perform a 45 minute show starting at eight o'clock in the morning and you start losing your ability to have excuses when you have to go, you have, you have to do that much that soon, you know, you have yeah. children who are the most honest people in the world who will say, you suck to your face, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I would go home and, and continue writing, just continue grinding on the plays and trying to figure out the craft of it. And, you know, I would, I would put things up and, and, and fail miserably. And, and, um, but, but, you know, I recovered like my first play that I ever put up was, this was around 1998 or 99. It got one out of four stars. And um, <laughs> I turned to my mentor. I was like, well, clearly this happens all the time. Right. He goes, no, I don't think so. No, I've never <laughs> seen. <it before."> <laughs> <laughs> so basically I, I've much told the record of having written the worst play, <laughs> you know, in town of all time. Um, and I got discouraged. Of course, I went home, and I was I was about to quit. And then I didn't. I just kept going. Um, I would put out, put out my next play. You know, I got two out of four stars. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so, so it just it was it was always a, it was always a lesson thing. It was always a big lesson thing. But I just never quit. I just but the but the but the drive was always to direct. I came into the theater to learn how to be a director that was all all i wanted to do even more than writing you know i mean writing just became a, a side skill set that i have that i can do mm-hmm. but directing is like a craft that i think is like so that i, I think every i think everybody thinks they can do it yeah. <laughs> and it ends because they like the play or because they like the project and i i think well why don't you try directing a play that you don't like <laughs> and then see yeah. if you can actually do it you know but i just it's this is the thing that i completely fell in love with and pretty much from an early age and it was all through movies you know it was like um it was oliver stone and and spike lee you know i like snuck in to see she's got a habit when i was like nine you know just learning what a well you could it was it was oliver stone and spike lee who showed me i realized what a director was because i would see on television for the trailers, and say an Oliver Stone film. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then um, when she's got a habit came out, it was like, oh, there's this black director, Spike Lee. You know, you got to get on board with them. And you know, hey, I've had my, I've had my love and battles with Spike Lee my entire life. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, like, um, like sometimes I'm like, oh, yay, awesome, Spike. Sometimes I'm like,
0: oh, it's <laughs> <Missed> the mark. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, but. My gosh, I mean, he I mean, I got to see one of the greatest movies of all time in the movie theaters do the right thing. You know, that to me is like My Citizen Kane, Mm -hmm. you know, that and like Boogie Nights are like My Citizen Kane. You know, those are things those to me are the greatest movies of all time. I don't care about the old old movies. They're not really relevant to me. I'm just like they're fine. They're film history. That's great. But what what is significant to where I'm at right now and how what makes me thrive towards this art form, you know, and it's not Citizen Kane, it's Spike, it's Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, it's, it's um, Wes Craven. It's like these, you know, these people who bring like this impact to theater that this very visceral, real mind blowing impact. And I figure if it's not mind blowing, then why do it?
0: You are such a student of the craft. And it's interesting. Your conversation echoes the conversation that I had with Leon Guidry last week. Mm -hmm. We're talking about radio and we're both in radio. And Mm -hmm. we're talking about like I was sharing my story with him that I was like nine when I knew I wanted to do radio and I ate, slept and drank radio and I didn't I didn't go to school for it. But right. I did everything I could. I was always around and always learning and and sitting under like my um, program director, his name was Ebro. You may have heard I it on Ebro. the radio. Yeah. I don't so, know him,
1: but I know of Ebro since
0: yeah. I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So Ebro was my PD and he would let me sit in the studio and we would talk and have these conversations and stuff. And it just goes to show that when something is when you're called to do this thing, yes. you will do everything that it takes to make it happen because you can't, for me anyway, I couldn't rest without it. I mean, I even walked away from radio and it just kept pulling me back. And to hear that you're such a student of the craft, like you really took your, you know, you found tutelage and you sat under mentors and you just worked your way to all the different areas, learning everything about theater and all of the different parts, it just is inspiring. It, and it echoes one of the things we said is that you have to do the work. No yeah. matter what it is that you want to do, you have to do the work. You're not going to come in and just be the director right off the street. There's right. stuff you need to know. right? And directing is more than just telling someone what to do and where to stand. right? It's so much more than that. Tell us a little bit about what else that entails, because I know I've seen people uh, I've seen interviews with like Regina King and, and and the like where they were directing maybe a television series. And I didn't realize that the the director is picked and maybe you won't even film for a couple of months because there's so many different nuances to being the, being responsible for the production. So talk about that in terms of theater. What does that mean when you're chosen to direct a piece. What does that mean? What does that look like?
1: Um, it means that I'm reading the script daily and extracting what the playwright is telling me, um, is, is saying to us. And that's where the vision comes from. Too many people start with the idea of their vision. Your vision is not relevant. What's relevant is what the playwright said and divorcing yourself from yourself and using Using, I use my, my weaknesses and my and my failures to uh, motivate the work to, to bring out the, the, um, what the author is intending. So, but it's always, it's but it's planning. I look at their words. I you know I believe in being expository with the script. So it's like what is not just what is the dial. What are they saying in the dialogue? What are they saying in their stage directions? What kind of language are they using? And so that's doing it in the voice of the playwright. I can only bring, I can bring like, you know, partial experience of, you know, what I may have, but not much, but it's all just planning and and your collaborators, you know, if it's um, your sound designers, your lighting designers, your stage manager, forget how important stage managers are, picking your actors carefully, according to what's correct for the story you're telling. Because, I mean, you make it a play, but you as an individual, depending on your city, because plays are localized. So I'm doing a play that came out of someplace else in Sacramento. It's, it's now here. So we have to do it in a way that we get it, you know, not every play is for every town. So Mm -hmm. you have to take, you you have to kind of, as much as you can localize and it speaks to the people that are in your city. That's the way that the the play will have impact. I mean, a lot of times we do shows that are not, that nobody cares about, you know, and Mm -hmm. nobody cares. They're not going to come. You know, <laughs> it's not going to come, but um, I like to. It's I can't anticipate the audience. I can't do anything but be honest with the what the playwright wrote, so that by the time it goes up, if there's criticism, it's a matter of taste, not because some director got in the way and put their vision yeah. all over the place. Yeah. You know, yeah, that happens so often where. You're watching, you're watching a show, you're watching a play, but you're not actually watching the play. You're watching what the director imposes on you. And we're not supposed to be imposing stage directors. Stage directors are not supposed to be imposing. Neither are TV directors. You know, you wanna, you, wanna, you wanna put your mark all over everything? Go make movies. That's what that's for, it's a director's medium. The theater is an actor's medium. Our job is to make sure that the actors have everything they need to be able to execute the best way they can. They don't have that room of trust which the director is supposed to create, they don't have that room of trust, then they're never going to be able to give you their all. And that goes for all your collaborators. So more than anything, long way of saying, my job is to, ma- is to, c- is to make sure that, that the room is good, that everybody is being um, utilized, that it's not, it's not a dictatorship. It's not really even a hierarchy. We have different jobs. You know, I can't design sound. You can, but I can explain to you what I'm looking for. You know, I can't point lights, but you can. But my job is to communicate what we're getting at. And a lot of times it comes from me, it comes from my experience of, of how much I love movies. You know, especially I'm a big horror movie fan. So <laughs> a big, big fan of horror movies. That was my original intention was to move to LA. I was gonna buy a Volkswagen bug and move to LA and make <laughs> B movies. I was gonna I mean B movies like Corona 3 and Redneck. <laughs> Killers and, and you know redneck truck drivers you with know, songs. I, I was ready to do that, and then I became a dad. And I was like, well, so much for that. So I <laughs> and say the theater, but it's but it's always been used as an aesthetic, as an art form, for something. Because I, I the horror genre and and science fiction genre have been very good to people of color and women, which have always been my focus as far as like my um the art is concerned, but. No, our job is to set the tone and tell the story more than anything. Tell the story. That's the big. Those are the words I learned from Buck Busfield, one of the founders of B Street Theater. Tell the story. Period. That's and I didn't know what that means, but we. It's so simple. Simple doesn't mean easy, but it really is. Tell the story, and it's and it's so um, tempting to when you get to a a part that you don't understand to to. put yourself into it or or cut that part out. I don't get it. So I'll just I, I just won't do it. No, do it. That's okay. <laughs> you know, you gotta do it. That's the job. Otherwise you're not directing the play. You're getting in the way you're ruining the play.
0: That's so good, family. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. More conversation with Anthony Dewan in our special Full Circle Men on the Move series. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle. Show
1: your support for the show by liking and sharing our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5. It's not just talk when you put it into action. Empowering women through conversation with Miss Wanda.
0: All right, we're back, family. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation inside of the Men on the Move series with playwright and director Anthony Dewan. Anthony, right before you went to the break, you kind of mentioned something that I wanted to segue into. You talked about working with women of color. Now, I was introduced to you by two productions that you worked on, Three Black Girl Blues with the amazing Danielle Monet Truett and Domestic Disturbance with friend of the show Carla Fleming. How important is it for you to work alongside and tell the stories of Black women?
1: Well, very. I mean, I was raised by one. Um, <laughs> I was raised by a single mother um, who was in who yeah, you know, like I said began as an actor, but eventually was in politics for a long time. It wasn't like something that was. I didn't set out and say, this is what I'm doing. It just kind of became that. I mean, like I've always been able to just write for women. And that was something that I learned early on that I was just able to do. Danielle and I, we connected first met officially in 2005. when We were doing a play together. And that for that, it was like game recognized game. Like, you know, you have something that I'm, I'm digging that I know that we can do something good with and We were able to just kind of connect in that regard but it's just there's a the importance of it to me now is that there's a um the humanity of black women and the in the um there's different stories a lot of times i guess when it comes with with uh the black woman's journey because they're they're coupling they're coupling being black and being women and sometimes being single mothers and then there's a different struggle but it's it's important to me in the sense that when i'm assigned to it that i get it right that is executed with complete honesty and that was to me the the importance of three and domestic disturbance i mean like but they they what what, what it is, is that had i not worked on three with danielle i would have never been able to do domestic disturbance because working on three with Dan- danielle and i learned a lot from each other i mean we are just we we're i mean we're basically she and I are the reasons that we are the way we are because of the way we work together, you know, and the way and, and what we've we've fed up how we've learned from each other. I mean, like I have bought my game as a writer, director. She's up her game as an actor. And it's because we would challenge each other. It'd be, you know, these 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 texts. We would have text messages three o'clock in the morning. oh, well, I'm checking this. Oh, I have this idea. What about this? What about that? It was just it, it was it was a constant thing, you know, updating me on her progress, you know. I got like the first phone calls when she first got on rebel when she first got, when she got law and order, you know, it was like, guess what, guess what? And I would tell her the same thing. Guess what? It's a point in time when, um, we were both doing productions of the mountaintop together. She did the mountaintop where she was doing it. And I was directing it here in Sacramento. And it was, and ours opened like a week apart from each other. It's always just been this, this cool brother, sister ride. And so we, we were able to really jive off each other as artists. And, um, Carla, her album. Ah. I was listening to that album, she asked me to do it, and I listened to the album. I listened to it backwards first. I mean, I didn't listen to it in order. I listened to it backwards because she was the way she was sending it to me. I it was in pieces, so I was just listening to it, and I just couldn't get over how, my gosh, I mean, the writing, I mean, the writing of each song. It was so they're so plain text, and which in real. It's not caught up in metaphors and it's not caught up in in lost poetry and things that are unexplainable. It was all so plain text. I mean, so it was like, it was very easy to adapt, you know, um, in that regard. I mean, look, I got to create, to me, one of the most evil characters I've ever created, which is (laughs) Brem. No, and, but, yeah, it's, it's highly important to me. And it just, and just... For women in general, you know, because there's, and especially women forty and over, you know, because there's a, um, as as women get older, the, the the prospects go down. It's a terrible business in that regard. But I feel like part of my job is to help keep that going and do it with deep, complex characters, not just not just mom, yes. not just aunt, not yes. just uh, you know deep complex interesting three-dimensional characters.
0: Yeah. Carla shared when when Carla was on the show, she shared um the her experience with you where you had listened to the album and then, you know, next thing you next thing she knew you had written, you know, the first draft and then the next thing she knew you had written, you know, and all and had really gotten yourself involved. Do you have a specific writing process when you are thinking about or undertaking a, a project?
1: Yeah. I, um, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's a, I do it like a full-time job. So when I'm working on something, it's about a seven to 10 week process where I would go five, six days a week and I will work from the morning to the afternoon. And then I, then I stop and then I, you know, make dinner, hang out with the wife, <laughs> just do all the regular stuff. And then next day, same thing. And, um, it's the best way for me to, to get anything out. I have to treat it like a job and, but yeah, it's about five to six, sometimes eight hours a day. They're full days. I take a, I take breaks, you know, I take breaks, I eat. I don't go straight through. I do it in small in segments. I'll do like hour segments, take a 10 minute break. Another hour segment, take a 10 minute break. Um, and then the first two weeks is usually about fleshing out the idea. So I'm writing, I'm write, almost writing it in prose, but I'm, I'm writing, but, I'm, but it's, it's like I take what James Cameron has this thing he calls the scriptment, which is a cross between a script and a treatment. So you're writing the story and sometimes there's dialogue, you know, and so I do that. And then this this routine came from when I listened to what Quentin Tarantino said, how he gets up and works these hours and stops. And I kind of adapted that, that time process. A bit of Tarantino's time process and James Cameron's scriptment process. About, after about two weeks, I have the initial idea out and I kind of let it sit for a couple of days and then I start adapting that into a script if it even works, you know, because sometimes I get to a certain point and then I decide this is just not going to work. It's either good news or bad news at the same time. You know, the good news is I don't have to go on with this. It's <laughs> <You know? laughs> just toss this and understand this is trash and that's it. I don't, I'm not precious that I write because I know that there's other ideas. And and I and I don't think that my ideas are, are, you know, so important that they must be seen. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like if it's wrong, get rid of it.
0: I like the fact that you have this structure to your writing. I think about people that I've met and talked to when they're trying to write a book or or something else, and they put so much pressure on I have to sit down and do the whole thing right now. So I like that fact that you actually break it up because that also helps your brain to kind of come up with new ideas when you're taking those breaks away as well.
1: Stop trying to. We try to write the perfect sentence when we sit down. We think that like I used to, I I used to you know try to write rap lyrics and stuff when I was when I was a teenager, and that you just go in order. You just go from beginning to end. So I applied that method all my life, or most of my life, to the to screenwriting. In some cases, it would work. I would hang out with I had poetry friends. We would do this thing called like poetry chess. And, you know, I write a line. Yeah, but you have like a minute. You know, I write a line, (laughs) send it. You write a line, send it. Write a line, send it. That's dope. keep Keep coming up with stuff. So it just keeps you active. And it's just a lot of people that we would do that with. And it just really helps. It really helped me be ready to work on the fly. You know, things that college would not have helped me with. It's like, I love old school hip hop, especially gangster rap. That's true writing in a lot of ways. Great stuff. It's like Nas is a writer, you know, beyond a rapper. He's a writer. He's a storyteller. Most deaf, you know, uh, a storyteller, yeah, right. you know, excuse me, Yasin Bey. a storyteller. <laughs> you know, um, those are the guys that I get really inspired by, you know, and and it's take you on a journey but yeah break it up in pieces you can't write it all at once you have to write sketch out your ideas and don't be afraid to suck because you're going to and nobody's going to read nobody's going to read anything that you don't show them that's what that's what also i think writers get caught up in it's like well i can't do they're almost afraid to write it because they think it's so bad but nobody's gonna see it until you show it to them (laughs) so (laughs) let it be bad you know let it be bad until it's not but yeah it's just It's combining a whole sketch of ideas using, you know, bits of dialogue, no matter how outrageous it may be, no matter how offensive, no matter how how out of order, just write it down and then pull it out and then adapt it.
0: That's great advice. And I hope everyone listening that is looking to go in the direction of just writing, being a creative in some way and creating a project that they take that advice. It's awesome advice. We are our worst critic. And so I love the advice that you gave of just, you know, it's going to suck. Just know it off the top. It's going to suck. But you have to get through that in order to get to the good stuff.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, look, you fail enough, you know, when something's good, you know, you can't be afraid to fail. You're going to fail. That's the thing. That's the reality. People, people always cut that part out. You can be anything you want. No, you cannot. You're going to fail. You're going to stumble. You're going to read. You're going to rethink. You're going to really find your lane, find your lane, <laughs> you know, stay in it. Um, I acted for years, not my lane, you know, because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a good person as an actor. I'm, I'm very selfish mm-hmm. as an actor, you know, but as a director and as a writer, I'm, I'm truly giving, you know that because that is the calling you said it earlier. It's a calling. It's not something you just just take up. It's a calling because it's it's a hundred percent failure rate. It's a business that nobody's asking for you, begging for you to get into. And if they are, you should be weary about it. Um, it's it's in fact, people are people quit every day. People get frustrated. It creates alcoholics and drug addicts and 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 murderous rampages, it creates all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's an awful business, but it's also a great and very important one because the arts is one of the most important things in the world. We are there, my job is to be there, is to provide the stuff for the people that relax on Friday and Saturday nights, you know? And my job is to, like like, like the best training I had in this was not actually in theater, but it was in the restaurants when I was a server it taught me to learn how to just be a server. My job is not to be the chef. My job is to get the food to the table without messing it up, you mm-hmm. know? And that to me is the way my job is as a, as a director. My job is to make sure that this script that this playwright wrote, my job is not mess it up with my bright ideas, yeah. you know? So I don't bring the chef's, the chef's, you know, pasta to the table and put ketchup on it and say, this is my idea. It's my old touch here. Here, yeah. check it out. <laughs> well, uh, that'll get you fired <laughs> and most likely beat up by the show um but yeah so that's how i so i learned that in the, when i was because when i was serving i got compliments as a server that i didn't get in theater and that kind of disturbed me because i thought that well maybe i'm supposed to just be a waiter for the rest of my life but i was learning this was a lesson this is this is this is a lesson from god go serve that is our job is to serve. We are given a gift, and our gift is to share, not to not to keep for ourselves, you know, and that's it. And as soon as I got that, things got better. I mean, I was struggling for years, years, years. Never gave up, but still struggling. I even did this. Look, I'll put it to you this way: I became an equity actor while I was homeless. Okay. That I was in the middle. I was in the middle of couch surfing and I got an opportunity to act in a play that would make me an equity actor to put me Mm -hmm. in the union and give me more money, you know, and I became an equity actor while I was homeless. I didn't care. I was still like, I'm not I'm not leaving. I'm not budging from this. I don't care how you try to scare me. I'm not budging from this because, as you said, it is a calling. You know, it is a calling.
0: Absolutely. You have a project coming up. You are directing Lynn Nottage's Clyde's at Capitol Stage. Tell yeah. us about that. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it.
1: Yeah. Clyde's is about a truck stop sandwich shop in uh, outskirts of Pennsylvania. And the sandwich shop is the workers are all ex-convicts. or are in the middle of rehabilitation, including the owner, who's a Black woman named Clyde. Clyde is very unapologetic, but I think in a lot of ways... It's her job to be because the the whole point is rehabilitation. It's lots of food, <laughs> a lot of like how like I cook myself too at home, and it's like one of the one of the calming artistic things you can really do. Showing you how how food can taste bad if you if you don't make it with love, you know. The whole play is dealing with redemption and and forgiveness. It's multicultural, multiracial. I mean, Lynn Nottage is awesome. I mean, that woman can write. It's almost envious how much, that, how well that woman can write. It's hard because, I mean, you, you'll read good plays, but it's rare that you come across playwrights who have a voice. Susan Laurie Parks, Lynn Nottage, Dominique Morsell, the late Sam Shepard. These are playwrights with voices that actually said something, that actually speak loud. And my gosh, Lynn Nottage can write her tale off. It's just incredible. But yeah, the play is beautiful. I'm really excited about this one. We're uh, we're having a blast at rehearsal, too. And yeah.
0: so that runs when?
1: I believe it opens August 23rd, runs to about September 24th.
0: Oh, OK. That's a nice run. OK.
1: Yeah. 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 No, it's a capital stage is a great professional theater in town.
0: You've seen anything there? I have for the very first time I saw Predictor. Because oh, I wanted yeah. to support Imani. And so yeah. I saw Predictor. Wonderful production. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, Imani's awesome. She's, she is, the, talk about somebody who's, who's like grown and really grown into her own over the years. And, you know, she and I have been friends for like 10 years. She's just, just watching her go from just this ambitious actor to, to now I make movies and now I direct yeah. plays. It's just this wonderful rise. I mean, she's so gifted.
0: Yeah. So that was my first time ever being at Capitol Stage. Totally enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to seeing Clyde's. It sounds interesting. So you mentioned earlier about localizing the play. Is this something that has some local elements too, or is it all just set in that setting of the original writing?
1: Well, it's in that setting, but you know, what makes something to me universal is when it's specific and it's specific not just to its location but it's specific to its intention okay and and um but they use the here's the thing they use the term hella once or twice <laughs> so i'm like boom got it that's ours oh yeah oh <laughs> <It's>, yeah <laughs> you know, that's ours you know um and we're taking you know there's there's the in the writing there's acts there's there's hints of an accent but I'm telling the actors, don't worry about the regionalness of the accent. Say the words in that way and make them your own, as opposed to trying to sound like you're from the East Coast. Create the character, but um, the localization, I think, is in the fact that there's a big prison problem, you know. And I've always, you know, I, I have a, you know, I have issues with, I have issues with with uh, mass incarceration for nonviolent crimes more than anything else. I, you know, certain people need to be in jail. Um, but then some certain people do their time and then they get out, then they have the the struggle of trying to get back into society because they see ex con and nobody wants to mess with you. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to deal with you. But one of the things that this play reminds me of is the fact that how the restaurant industry is one of the most forgiving industries out there. They're the ones that take in people who need a second chance, you know, especially in the kitchen. You know, when I worked at restaurants, the kitchen was filled with people who just got out of jail, just had hard lives, ex-drug addicts. It's a rehabilitation. There's something about making food for people, serving others, mm-hmm. giving them that really can rejuvenate you and start you over. So that, to me, is the localization of it. And plus, Sacramento's got a lot of restaurants. I know we know a lot of I know a lot of the owners around here. To me, it's a it's a really cool pleasure to now be able to put this play up for for some of my old peeps in the restaurant industry because I still know and love a lot of them. I mean, a lot of them, these guys are geniuses. I've met some incredible chefs, some incredible bartenders. I had, you know, I was taught by, I was taught serving by, by some incredible servers and such. So Sacramento's got a great restaurant scene in general, just in yeah. general, great yeah. restaurant.
0: Anthony, what has been the biggest lesson in your career so far?
1: Um... Not stopping, um listening, or anything, listening. Because yes, we have our ambitions and stuff, but listen to read the room, listening, reading the room, listening to the advice that you're told, even if it's not verbal. Um because sometimes we want something so bad that we are we we get kind of obnoxious about it. And I spent a lot of years doing that. I've been arrogant. I've been critical, you know, I have a big mouth, very opinionated. And I've learned to kind of not so much pull it back, but learn how to talk, you know, be more discerning, be more careful with my words, and being responsible. Because the arts, I mean, one of the things is in the arts is that ideas have consequences. So it's about taking, I don't want to put up anything or write anything that I can't explain later. I don't want to put something out just to be edgy and I don't want to put something out that's incredibly sexist and I'm saying I'm doing it for the art it's, for, it's because this is what's mm. intended there's other ways to do that okay. <laughs> you know just like there's other ways to speak your opinion and I've learned to really pull back and to grow I mean having God in my life more I didn't I didn't do all my 30s and such 20s 30s didn't at all wasn't until my 40s that I really started listening to it, and that's also a big testament to Danielle Truett. You know, it wasn't anything she said, but it was what I observed in her life, and that really kind of put me in a different plane of how I operate, and it helped also, you know, meeting my my awesome third wife, who <laughs> uh, was really grounded me in a lot of ways. But I've learned to just be more discerning to listen and not talk, you know, Um, but talk, but, 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 you know, but when I have to speak, you know? Um, Yeah. But I've learned that it's also, it's a, it's about the craft. And I also learned that I, here's, here's the thing. I can't blame others for my failures. I just don't, I don't, I just, I'm one of these people. I just, I've never used racism as a reason. I've always just, when I was rejected, I took it as, I just have to go get better at my craft you know just go get good at it because then you have to reach to a point where you're undeniable and and then when they're rejecting you they're just they're just not smart yeah <laughs> no that's really what it should get to but yeah yeah i don't know if that even answers the question but it's been a lot that i've learned from this and there's a lot of it's just listening
0: no absolutely absolutely do you mentor people that are looking to break into the industry yeah if they want i mean you're my, so busy.
1: Well, no, it's I, I could never give myself enough credit to say I mentor this person. I just don't <laughs> feel like I have a <laughs> thing, but I but I but I answer the phone and anybody asks has questions. I have no problem like um, sharing, you know, or helping with anything that I possibly can. I mean, like um, I've done that with Imani. Um, I've I've done that with a few others. I've talked with a few others about things I. Um, I can't give advice about, you know, show business, yeah. but I can give you, but I can tell people how to work on your craft and do better. I mean, because I look at the theater as it's, they say it's an actor's medium and it's a place that we all get to go and practice. You know, that means designers, directors, and everything so that we're prepared for when the for when the big guys call. You know, so when i get when I get that call to direct an episode of Law and Order, <laughs> then I'm ready because I've been doing. All this other stuff, you know, yeah. I'm not just sitting around and then just saying, oh, I don't have no idea what to do because I haven't been doing anything. But um, yeah, I help tell people to be prepared, stay prepared and stay in your craft. Even when you're not doing anything, figure out something to do, write something, read something, <laughs> do something. <you> know?
0: <laughs> what do you see next for yourself? I know you're doing this, you know, you're doing Clyde's now, but what do you see a little bit further down the road for yourself? What do you want?
1: Oh, I want to start a, a local summer stock here. Oh. That's really the thing I want to do before I die. My, my mission is here. I don't really have, I don't have any interest of going to Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. I'll go where I'm called, you know, if I got to go do something. But my interest is, is helping to build up theater here. You know, not leaving here like people do because they don't feel like there's enough happening here. No, I want to help take over stuff. I want to help help make local theater thrive. I want to help make it so that people want to come back here. You know, we have so many great people that are from here that just go away and they're gone. It'd be great to have Greta Gerwig come back and direct the stage play here. You know, she and I worked together way back and it's so awesome where she's at now. But why did, why does she not want to come back here and do stuff? Because there's nothing for her to come back here and do, you know? So give a reason. I think starting a summer stock opens that up and you work more with local plays, new plays, not doing Shakespeare and, Stuff like that. If you do, you, you adapt it for a modern audience in some way, shape, or form. That's also my big mission is I I create theater for people who don't like theater. Because people mm. who like theater are going to come, but people who don't like theater, you know, they need a reason to go. Domestic disturbance was a big example of that. It was yeah. Pay what you can. It was an interesting subject. And it was Carla. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's so people who hadn't seen theater came and saw that and enjoyed it i saw some woman who said she doesn't like musicals much but she liked that and i'm like that's who i'm writing for that's who we're doing this for and that's the thing with people of color like me coming from south Sac, who used to watch plays and say this is not for me they're speaking in a different language you know i want to bring theater for people like me and like Mm. like you know that's 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 the thing that's the job it's the job is here and it's for it's for everybody else it's not for me i'm just willing to just give my life to this. And that's, that's it. So that's the plan.
0: I love that. That's so, that's so inspiring. Okay. I have five rapid fire questions, Anthony. Are you ready? I will do my best. Yes. <laughs> okay. They're, they're not that hard. Okay. So what are you reading and, or what book has impacted your life?
1: Well, I just finished reading a book called don't waste your life by uh, John Piper. Um, John Piper's a pastor. I just yeah. really love what he has to say and it's just we don't have time (laughs) we don't don't have time um another book i finished recently was uh lincoln's melancholy abraham Lincoln and depression and such that stuff Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me he's one of my favorite presidents and how that man was was under a weight of depression i deal with depression and so i'm i'm always looking for great people who dealt with it as well and he's he's one of them
0: That sounds interesting. I I would love to read that Lincoln's Melancholy. Yes. Okay. I definitely want both. Actually, both of those sound really good. I'm have to add two more books to my list. Those sound really good. What advice would you give your younger self?
1: My younger self. um, Oh man, I don't know, man. When I was doing, when I was my younger self, I was still doing exactly what I wanted to do. I've always done exactly what I wanted to do in my life. I haven't really. I've never had a state job. I've never had a job. Well, I've had jobs I didn't like, but that's because I was focusing on the theater. But no, I would probably tell my younger self, uh, don't get married, don't elope at 27. I did that.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Some caution. Uh, uh, Caution uh, into your younger self. (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting that even with that caution, your life still turned out the same because it was interesting that you said you were already doing What you wanted to do i love that
1: yeah all right even if i wasn't making money off it i'm still doing it
0: yeah what words of wisdom do you have to share with the next generation
1: probably the same thing danielle said because he and she and i both share this if there's anything else in the world that you want to do with your life go do that do not do this (laughs) because this (laughs) is uh i mean anything if you say i want to act but i really like painting houses go paint houses now just go leave the class, go paint houses. Otherwise you, you had to give, you know, be willing, be willing to give yourself over to it. Be willing to share yourself. I mean, we can't, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. It's not about you. <laughs> you know, you get your time at night when you eat your, you know, dinner. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you yeah. know. But, if you could get one do over, I think you've already answered this. <laughs> How would you use it?
1: One do over. Oh, yeah. hmm. I, well, I don't know, I don't know, I, pro, I, I, uh, mm. I you know, there's, I would, I would, t- I would have taken more time on my first short film that I made, which is a 45 minute, very pretentious, unwatchable movie that I'm very proud of, <laughs> you know, um, I would have taken more time. I would have taken more time in planning. I would have st- I would have got out of my head a lot more. I would have tried to try to collaborate a lot more. Making movies is far different from making doing plays, but um I would have taken more time.
0: And lastly, and I think you answered this as well, but I'm gonna ask you anyway, what do you want your legacy to be?
1: Leaving this summer stock and um being some just uh, some sort of symbol of hell or or hopefully an example of being able to become something, even from the most unlikely background. There's really when you really think about, it, there's no reason for me to be a playwright and director. I mean, I didn't have that type of uh, direction. My mom wanted me to go into politics or something with more stability to it, and I refused
0: let's side note there too. So what your mom's political career, did that have any, you didn't want to go into it, but what impact did that have on you? I mean, seeing this black woman in political spaces.
1: She was the first, she was one of the first black women, um, chief of staff at the state Capitol. I got to be, my mom's also, my mom was a radical feminist. So that's how I was raised. It was, by she was a radical feminist. So as a kid, she would take me to these, take back the night marches, she was a women's studies minor in college. so some, when I was in trouble, she would have to take she would take me to class with her. Uh, only child, you know. you know, she would give me books to read. I would go see these uh, these prominent feminists at the time, like Andrea Dorkin. Uh, we got to see her speak. I got to see Alice Walker speak right after um, the color purple came out. And I went up and asked her, we well, didn't ask her a question. I just, during the question and answers, I just went up and told her. Cause I read her, I'd read the color purple twice mm-hmm. at that time. And then I'd seen the movie and I just told her, I really love the book and I watched the movie and I'm like, you know, 10, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then mom going into politics, just really just, she taught me like argue, not, not arguments, but I mean, just, just to be, be firm and clear. And, um, don't let people run over you. There's things you have to listen for, but man, she, uh, she, she, she thrived on that a lot more. I couldn't do it, you know, because to me, there's no common sense in politics, but she found the common sense and I'm just not creative enough to find the common sense in politics. So I admire that she was able to do it.
0: How wonderful Anthony, this has been the best conversation. I am so happy to be able to get to know you better. You are uh, just an inspiration. I mean, the fact that you were self-taught and here you are now and all of the things that you've gone through to get to where you are and the dedication you have, not only to the craft, but to yourself and getting better each time. I just thank you. Thank you again for saying yes, this has been wonderful. I cannot wait to see Clyde's when it opens in a couple of weeks. I will be there. And you know I'm gonna tap you on your shoulder. Hey, Anthony. Like <laughs> I'm like, that's my friend. You know, <laughs> you're stuck with me now.
1: <laughs> good, good, good. I love your show. Congratulations to you on this this cool show. This is really great stuff. And you're doing exactly what you what you're put here to do. That's awesome.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anthony DeWan, another man on the move, featured right here on Full Circle. It has been a pleasure. Nothing but, you know, best wishes, peace and blessings to you, Anthony, for a successful run with this and all of the other things that you plan on doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Family, that's how we're doing it. Show love to everyone you meet, and we'll see you next week. Peace, fam. This has been
1: Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.